0: Welcome to Fish, Talk, and Hunt Radio with John Henneken and Mike the Grizz, where we're going to cast and blast you right out of this world with some of the best hunting and fishing stories that you can't even imagine. Hey, Grizz, what's going on? Oh, John, all kind of things.
1: Uh, I would like to say one thing before we get started here. Guys and girls that are out there in the hunting, fishing, and just outside messing around in the outdoors, be careful of the ticks. I was diagnosed with Lyme disease uh, last week, and I just want you guys to have regular tests, check it out. Uh, those little boogers are, are mm. pretty nasty.
2: Grizz did you say li- did you say lying disease?
1: Lyme disease <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm that, that was terrible but yes yeah now Grizz I'm curious can you get it from other than ticks? is there other ways to get it or do you know? Well John,
1: I always heard that you could only get it from ticks now. I don't know or remember that I got bit by a tick. So I did some research, and they say that any type of parasite, whether it could even be like head lice or uh, fleas, can actually give it to you, is Mm. what I was told. Mm. And then I even understood that some mosquitoes can Hmm. Now, I cannot say that's true or false. I just—people told me that.
2: Yeah. Well, that's not a fun thing, is it? No, John, it's not.
1: It uh, really takes a toll on people. I was caught at 1.4, which is good if you want to call it good, because if you get diagnosed at 1.8, you're a pretty sick puppy.
2: Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, Grizz, thanks for that good tip. And they they tend to be around where there's water and trees, right?
1: Well, I don't know, John. I'm in the desert, and by golly, I got it. Okay.
2: All right, Grizz, that was a good tip. We're going to have to uh, go to a break, and we've got all kinds of exciting stuff coming back. We're going to come back with uh, Misty Wells, I believe, and it's going to be exciting, so stay tuned.
0: Welcome back to Fish, Talk, and Hunt Radio with Mike the Grizz and John Hennigan. Hey, Grizz. I understand
2: you got a very attractive young lady on the show for us today. Unfortunately, it's radio, but uh, why don't you give us an idea all about Misty?
1: Well, Misty is one of my favorite women in the whole world. Not only is she beautiful, but she's a very nice person, and she does a lot of good things for fishing and hunting. And she's a pretty good shot with a shotgun. She knows how to shoot ducks. And, Miffy, why don't you tell, her what you tell us what you've been up to, girl? Sure. You know, thanks for
6: having me back on the show, first and foremost, of course. It's always a pleasure uh, to, you know, be on the show with you. And, you know, I'm looking forward to coming back to Mexico for sure.
1: Well, what have you been up to? I know you're working a lot with the kids and stuff. Give us an idea of what you're doing right now.
6: You know, know, I am really, really busy. This last week, uh, I was actually getting to spend some time with Captain Keith Colburn. Uh, He's the captain of The Wizard on Deadliest Catch. And he and I were doing some appearances together in fundraising for my nonprofit, A Real Futures.
2: I'm sorry. nonprofit. Right. I'm sorry, Missy, the nonprofit. What's the name of that?
6: The nonprofit's called A Real Futures. Okay. And I work with kids that are in group foster care, and I get the great, great job of taking them fishing.
1: That's fantastic. And do they catch any fish?
6: Well, of course they do. What fun would that be if I took them fishing and they didn't catch fish? The fishing's been really... Really good over here. I'm in the Gulf of Mexico. I'm on the west coast of Florida out of Clearwater, Tampa Bay area.
1: Really? What are you catching over there, Misty?
6: Well, it's grouper season right now, so it's all about the grouper, grouper, grouper. Um, Gag groupers are in season, and they're really, really nice size. Uh, Really nice red grouper as well. And just about two weeks ago, um, really by accident, to be honest, I caught a really nice uh, almost eight foot sailfish.
2: Oh, wow. I didn't know. Really? I didn't know you had those in the Gulf.
6: You know, uh, I've caught four in my whole life, hmm. and three of the four are over here in the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. Well,
2: in the Keys, yeah, but I didn't know they were up, in the, up that far up.
6: I know. It's been in, you know, I had a report yesterday. A buddy of mine was offshore, and he said that he saw uh, a sailfish jump out of the water three times.
3: Mm-hmm. They yeah, do that.
6: So sailfishing. Yeah. It's it's not what, you know, we're known for. I mean, we're definitely the grouper capital of the world, uh, and the bite has just been phenomenal. Um, you know, anywhere from about 45 feet going out to several hundred feet offshore, uh, you're going to catch some really nice, you know, gag and red grouper and also American red snapper right now.
1: How are you fishing for Misty? Are you bottom fishing or...
6: Yeah, we, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, we are bottom fishing, so you either want to use, you know, a circle hook uh, with probably about a 5- or 6-ounce weight on it mm. and do a leader, probably about 10- to 12-inches long. And you can either use a live pinfish for bait. The gag Grouper love live pinfish. Or you can really use dead sardines and just cut them in half. Uh, Right now they're chewing so much, it almost doesn't matter.
1: Really, what size is the average fish?
6: Well, to keep them, you know, you of course, in anything that you're catching, uh, you're going to catch some, some shorties. So the red grouper have to be 20 inches or, long, or bigger. And then the gag groupers, uh, they gave us a longer season, but they upped it by two inches. So instead of 22 inches like last year, you have to have 24 inch on the gag. But we get a lot more time to fish for them, so I'm totally fine with that.
7: Well,
1: that's great. It's kind of like, well, you said two to four pound weights.
6: Uh, ounce, to ounce. I said th- I think I said pound, but I meant ounces.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, my lord, that wouldn't be fun. Where are you at? Just yeah. bring the weights up.
6: Oh, I know. Can you imagine reeling up a forty pound fish and the big old weight on top of it?
1: No, no, no. Well. In other words, it's kind of like fishing what you and I did for snook.
6: It is. It is, actually. Um, we just, you know, we had those huge, beautiful, colossal shrimp that we were using for the snook. And over here, mm. uh, like I said, you can just use uh, live fish, uh even sometimes a piece of squid. But cut sardines for dead bait are the best oh. ones.
2: Hey, Grizz, I've never caught snook, but I thought it was a topwater fish. no.
6: We, uh,
1: Misty caught her biggest snook with me, and I caught, well, it was my third largest fish, snook I ever caught when I fished with you, wasn't it,
6: Misty? Yeah, I mean, yours ever caught. I was really jealous when Grizz caught his, and then I caught mine, so I felt better about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yours was bigger than mine.
6: Well, I wasn't going to say that, Grizz. I didn't want to call you. <laughs> well,
1: I'll give credit where it's due, Misky. Yeah,
6: it, it was where a beautiful it... fish. But, you know, you're right, John. I mean, it depends on where you are and what kind of when you're fishing for snook, because snook are really prevalent where I live, you know, in the Tampa Bay area. Well, they're, we they're, they're
2: definitely, definitely inshore, though, right?
6: Yeah, over here they are. Now, when Grizz and I were in Mexico, the style of fishing was way different than it is here when you're catching snook. You know, over there um, you're dropping down and you're using uh, a live shrimp and stuff like that. And over here you're casting in kind of along the mangrove edges, more in the shallow water. Um, they're ambush predators, so if there's a pothole or something where they can kind of hide out and wait for the bait to go by, they will. But de- definitely the style over here where I am in Florida is, is different where Grizz is in Mexico. Mm-hmm. They're both fun to catch, you know. My son has been catching monster snook grids, almost probably the same size as the ones I was catching in uh, Mexico with you, um, just right behind the house.
2: Really? Really? Mr. Yeah. Give us an idea of some of the different species. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Grizz and I fish a lot in the Baja and, and, and Mexico, but uh, Florida, you know, they, well, first of all, you've got, you know, these are the Florida strain bass, which is uh, uh, what, what everybody goes after. They're everywhere. But then uh, you've got peacocks in the canals. And yeah. what, what are some of the other fish that you find in Florida that you may not find in the Caribbean or uh, in in Mexico?
6: You know like you said that you mentioned the peacock bass that's a really uh g- great fish now they're not all over Florida you have to go to south Florida to get those peacock bass so pretty much anywhere north of Okeechobee you won't find the peacock bass so Mm -hmm. you've got to be down below the lakes where the water's warmer in order to find those so that's a really good find and i know they have different variations of you know fish and and things like that in other places but uh that's a really great fish to catch over there over here and they're so beautiful
2: and of course you got the gators down there
6: well, and that's a fun thing you know Gator season is about to open um how they do it here it might be different than other places, but you uh you get Put put your name in a lottery for a drawing, and if you're lucky, if you're one of the lucky few, uh, you'll get a tag, and then you can use that tag to go out and harvest one gator per tag. Mm -hmm. You might get one to two tags, and you can either go out and get it yourself, or if you want to go with a guide because you're not real sure – you know exactly what well, to do you can go yeah. with a guide and that Well we that can tactic. we can
2: we can maybe we'll touch on that when we come back. I've got good news and bad news. The bad what? news is we have to take a break. The good news is you're coming back.
6: Well great. That's <laughs> yeah. wonderful.
2: But uh, So just
1: hang in there I'll probably go to a commercial break. Okay.
2: Misty. And then, uh, you know, you can always go to fishtalkradio.com and listen to Misty on this show, uh, probably by, you know, when, whenever it's convenient for you, and we'll cover more about it. You are listening to Fish Talk Hunt Radio, and we're going to be back with you momentarily.
0: And back to work on Monday's condition. Yeah, back to work on Monday's.
5: The
4: best wing shooting is in Nayarit, Mexico. It's absolutely incredible and is only $2,650 U.S. per person. Includes four nights lodging, three days hunting, all meals, non-alcoholic beverages, transportation, bird boys, cleaning and packing of all birds. You'll even be provided, free of charge, a quality shotgun over and under or automatic, either a Beretta or Browning, three cases of shotgun shells. Even the tips are included. Bird season starts soon, so book your adventure today. Contact support at thegrizgear.com. That's support at thegrizgear.com. Or call 434-953-8598. That's (laughs) 434-953-8598. Let me tell you about a fantastic boutique hotel on Mag Bay called the Mangrove Inn located on the estuary in Lopez Mateos. This unique hotel will connect you with nature. The whale watching is incredible. They have the best onshore and offshore fishing guides and even bird watching guides and the estuary fishing. You can even kayak fish the estuaries right from the hotel the chef will even cook your catch check it out at mangroveinbaja.com or call 434-953-8598 to book your adventure that's 434-953-8598
0: Back to Fish Talk and Hunt Radio with Mike the Grizz and John Hennigan. Hey, Grizz! <laughs> what
2: yeah, a, what we a still pl- got that wonderful misty. What a, there. what a pleasure it is. I mean, even even if it's not television, it's it's nice to have a lovely young woman on with us.
6: Well, thank yeah, you guys. Well, it's nice to be on the show with you. It's not only
1: is she beautiful. I filmed a lot with a lot of people. And Misty Wells is the nicest, most genuine person to hunt with, to fish with, to eat with, and just to be around. Just a wonderful—we spent six days together, didn't we, Misty?
6: I know, you know, and it flew by. It doesn't even seem like it. I'm like, I have to leave already?
2: Yeah. Hey, Misty, this is John. Uh, Just popped into my mind. I I know that you you cover the field as far as outdoors, but uh, kind of a three part question. Would you prefer to go hunting, fishing? And what uh, species uh, do you uh, desire the most to go after?
6: I mean, you, I, it's funny, you know, you get asked that question a lot, especially when you hunt and fish and, and do a lot of variety of things. Um, I mean, I guess if I had to pick between hunting and fishing, I'd pick fishing, but it would be a really tough decision. Uh, you know, my favorite type of fishing uh, is anytime I can basically hold a rod and reel, but I do love to go after some of the bigger fish and go offshore and uh, saltwater fish, but I'm really trying to step up my freshwater game, and that's something I've been focusing mm-hmm. on a lot um, this year just to become a better freshwater and a bass fisherman and things like that. Um, my favorite fish to go after is, is probably sailfish in mahi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think they're so fun. I love to catch
2: them. Oh, they're beautiful, and they're fun, and they're acrobatic. And besides that, especially the Dorado, this, uh, they taste good. I've got uh, a recipe for beer-battered tacos, and that's really the best. But they they are a lot of fun, and they're beautiful fish.
6: Well, well the other thing all that you could Misty is an
1: expert at is
6: catfishing. Oh, yeah. Oh, that too. <laughs> I that is. We are
1: out in the ocean, fish. and she gets the world record catfish.
2: In the ocean? Yep. No way. Yep. No, there's no such yep. thing as
6: catfish in the ocean.
1: Yep. Well, you can watch her on television. <laughs> Trust me, John, we were
6: just as surprised as you are. You know, we were snook fishing, you know, caught monster snook, had a great time. The tide changed, so we're like, hey, let's just go explore, uh, you know, really where the intercoastal kind of dumps out Mm -hmm. to the Pacific and just go check it out. And I caught a huge, I believe they call it a Bastille catfish, and you know, I was, Grizz was kind of teasing me a little bit cause I'm like, oh, I love catfishing. It's so fun, you know, and all that. And he said, well, I can't believe you came all the way to Mexico and caught a big old catfish.
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, Grizz, I know this is completely changing the subject, uh, but a place you're familiar with down in La Paz, did you hear about the 400-pound uh, uh, yellowfin that they got down there?
1: Yeah, I sure did.
6: Wow! Yeah, four hundred and
1: twenty-two pound yellowfin.
6: That's incredible. I, would, look
2: that I, up. Wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want it. to try and bring that thing in.
1: Oh, geez. my yeah. biggest is three twenty-nine, and I'll never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, I don't know. I, I
8: would. Do, yeah, like four hundred and twenty-two pounds.
2: pounds. Yeah.
6: That's who, a kid. Who tuna. it, John? I'm sorry. Who it, caught that? Well
2: it was it was it was out of a charter boat out of uh, um out of La Paz I believe they would have by Saravo Island because you you know normally the the goal the ultimate goal is to get a two hundred pounder. And very few yeah. very few people have hit three hundred. Uh so that was if not the biggest you know very very close you know as a world re- a record for for that part of the world and now, blues can get uh, uh big, but apparently this was a yellowfin, right, Grizz
1: yeah, yeah, we don't have blues down here, mm-hmm. yeah, it was 422 pounds, and uh like you said, they caught it right off of uh Cedarville Island out there last week,
2: yeah, well, that's even bigger than Grizz.
6: That's yep, incredible. That. Well, good for them. I'll tell you what. My hats off to whoever caught that amazing stuff. Well, I, I think that wh-
2: whoever hooked it up had some help. They just, you know, he had to, they had like two or three boats trying to pull on it, and, and uh,
1: it was. You know. uh, it took five hours and forty-five minutes.
2: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, you, Misty, you said That's you want to go job. out and catch some big fish offshore. Off uh, well, there you go. But uh, trust me, I don't think you'd want to do that. It's a lot of work. Yeah, a, I don't, know. I don't
6: that big. A <laughs> lot of work. I'd be fine with 200-pounder. Yeah.
2: Well, actually, as far as I'm concerned, any tuna over 100 pounds, um, it, it's a lot of work. A lot of work. Because they just go straight down and swim in a circle, and it's, you just got to crank them and crank them and crank them, and, and you better have the right gear.
6: Oh, I know. I was fishing in the British Virgin Islands in April this year, and uh, we were fishing for Wahoo, but hooked up with a few some way smaller yellowfin tuna. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, when they're sounding and they're pulling on you, you're just swearing to everyone that you know they're over 100 pounds. Yeah. But rer, they're really rer, about rer. 30. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but they're a lot of fun to catch, but they're a lot of hard work. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's why it like the, uh, like you mentioned, sailfish and Dorado, because they come up and dance on the top and you can fight them.
6: Yeah, and you get to Well,
1: see the other stuff. thing, in the, the Atlantic sailfish are a lot smaller than oh. our sailfish over oh. here.
6: Hmm.
1: A lot smaller. You know, over here, our sailfish get up to 200 pounds, and over there, a big one is 80 pounds, isn't it, Misty?
6: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, they're definitely um, a little bit smaller over here uh, on average. I'd say the average size is anywhere from, you know, 40 to sixty-five, seventy 70 pounds. Just an average one, you know, mm-hmm. which is still a great fight.
2: Uh, Misty, obviously you're quite an angler and hunter. Do you ever do any competition?
6: Uh, you know, from the angling point of view, uh, I've actually already fished uh, five different tournaments this year already and have a few more on the radar uh, to fish. And it's everywhere, honestly, from a bass tournament, uh, a tarpon tournament, uh, an offshore kind of rodeo where there's six different species in it, and also some inshore tournaments as well. So I'm just uh, kind jack of jack-of-all, master-of-none. <laughs>
2: Well, I I think that's debatable, but
1: well, she's an amazing it. woman at the work she does with the ladies and with the kids and all the benefits that uh she does is you know, we had a lot of time to talk while she was here. She's just a fast fascinating woman with all she's doing to help mm-hmm. nature and children and just conservation. Right. My hat's off to you, misty, and well, besides, you know, I love you girl. you're yeah. fun to hunt with and fun to fish with
2: okay uh, just you know what what are what we're talking about, misty, do you know what the fastest segment of uh the fishing sport is you know what what part of the the market is growing the fastest,
6: you know. Oh. You know what you mean, like fresh water as opposed no, to salt water?
2: No, no. Well, actually, I'll just jump right into it. Um, the the amount of women that are, going in, that are coming into fishing, um, uh, percentage-wise, uh, is greater than men.
6: Oh, it is. And, you know, I completely agree with you. Um, I do so many trips with women, and I talk to so many different women that are like, you know, please just kind of give me the 101, or let's do a little seminar, or can we put together just a girls' trip, because they're dying to go out and go fishing, and to be honest with you, they're better fishermen than the men, because they they really want to learn, and they don't have mm-hmm. any preconceived notions, so if, if you partner with someone that yeah. can give you some good advice... And, you know, you're open to, to, you know, there's so many great fishermen out there. And you all I always pick up great ideas and great tips from everybody I fish with. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you really just pay attention, um, I mean, the women are just coming in in droves. And, uh, I mean, that's just one of my favorite things is taking them to do something they've never done before. Yeah. And not just the kids, but seeing the women catch their first fish. I mean, it's amazing.
2: Well, one of the things that I've always heard is that women tend to make better fly anglers because they're uh, a little bit more finesse and less aggressive.
6: Yeah, That's one area. You know, I'd have to speak to Grizz on that. I haven't uh, started to work on my fly fishing. I've done it a few times, but I'd be embarrassed to say that I was a fly fisherman because I'm definitely not there yet. But well, that would make a lot of sense I to me. can
1: help you with that, girl.
6: Yeah, I know you can. You're a great fly fisherman. And you've probably fished with some female fly fishermen, right?
1: I, I didn't hear you, Misty. What would you say?
6: Oh, I'm sorry. I said you probably, Grizz, have fished with some females uh, in fly fishing. Uh, how do you think they do compared to men?
1: You mean a woman teaching her how to fly fish? Uh, uh-huh. com-
2: compared to a man, Grace,
1: a woman is a hundred times percent easier to teach because she doesn't have the bad habits that a man <laughs> okay. has. Because right. a man thinks he's always right.
2: Yeah. Well.
1: And a woman yeah. will listen to you.
2: Yeah. Hey, Grizz and Misty, it looks like we're coming to the end of this segment. And uh, Grizz, is there, uh, is there something that you want to wrap it up with? And Misty, if, if is there any reason for us to get in touch with you? Or do you have a contact information that you want to give us?
6: Absolutely. Uh, you know, whether you want to be a part of going hunting with Grizz and I in Mexico for some ducks, which is phenomenal, and we've talked about it on the okay, show. Okay,
2: we got before. 10 seconds.
6: Uh, you know, get in touch with me at MistyWells.com, and you can learn everything you need to know and probably then some.
2: Perfect. MistyWells.com. Thank you very much, Misty. You're listening to Fish Talk Radio.
4: Lake Cabot, one-seventh place in America's top 100 family-friendly places to boat and fish, the lake is in the Bay Area, only 45 minutes away from San Francisco. This scenic destination boasts over a dozen hiking and biking trails, trophy-sized fish, boat rentals, Bay Area kayak tours, and a picturesque eating area at the surprisingly delicious cafe. Tell them John Hennigan sent you, and they'll even give you a special gift on California parks. Visit LakeCabotRecreation.com for information. That's LakeCabotRecreation.com.
3: Ram. See your local Ram dealer today for great deals. EPA estimated 25 MPG highway based on V6 4x2. The
5: East Cape of Baja, Mexico is world famous for sport fishing. Dorado, Tuna, Wahoo, Marlin, Sailfish, Roosterfish, and Parco. The Van Warmer resorts make dreams come true at a price all can afford. Hotel Palmas de Cortez, Playa del Sol, and Hotel Punta Colorado have the biggest and best sport fishing fleet in all of Mexico. Call toll free to 877-777-TUNA to find out how affordable world class food. Can be. The finest resorts and the best boats in East Cape. Call 877 777 Tuna.
0: Welcome back to Fish Talk and Hunt Radio with John Henneken and Mike the Grizz. Hey Grizz, that was John, so much. We
1: got another beautiful blonde. Oh really? Believe that.
2: Okay, this has been we'll take
1: it. The ladies' hour.
2: Wow. Yeah, Misty got... was Misty was great, and we have Rebecca. well,
1: we got Rebecca now. Rebecca is after every man's heart that shoots a bow. She's one Don't of the she... best
9: <laughs> bow hunters
1: in oh. the
2: world.
1: Rebecca, tell us about yourself, baby.
9: Yeah, not a problem. Sorry, got really busy dating but no i grew up in alaska i've been bow hunting since i was actually seven years old um actually killed a bear with a bow first when i was 13 years old and been hooked on archery ever since you killed a bear um, when
1: you were 13 years old with a bow yes
2: sounds like david crockett
9: that was my first animal with a bow that hooked me on archery hunting and uh kind of started my process right down the whole entire archery world from shooting competitively to learning about bow design and now actually I do a lot of run my own archery shop and actually teach a lot of lessons and kind of helping people improve their shooting based upon just kind of truer more instinctive form and and learning how to tune bows better. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Rebecca, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris, but Re- Rebecca, ahead, John. the the uh, uh, bow hunting seems to be becoming more and more popular, and the equipment is changing. Uh, do you want to comment on that?
9: Yes, actually, it is. You know, over the years, there's been a lot of different changes from old design, and we used to shoot a lot longer draw lengths based upon cam efficiency. Cam efficiency used to be not so existently shoot cams that were efficient at the 40 to 60 percent range and now we're at cam efficiency more in the 77 to 87 percent range so actually what that has allowed us to do is shoot a more efficient draw length that's more set up for muscle physiology and straight back and through shooting which allows us to shoot more consistent better groups, have less variance in your shooting and everything like that once we get to the correct draw length. Our biggest issue with archery, like you're talking about, is that most people are still stuck in, oh, we used to shoot a draw length of this length. Well, now bow design efficiency has changed. We kind of need to get people to learn that we can go back and draw length, shoot just as fast or faster with better consistency.
1: Yeah, I have a question for you. Benjera, uh, huntress what do you prefer for your arrowheads are you like the mechanics are you like the solids or what is it that you recommend for for hunting A deer for example
9: okay so pretty much I based it upon what our drawing is and what our um, poundages for myself I don't shoot a mechanical. I don't create enough kinetic energy typically to shoot a mechanical. Most mechanicals tend to open with kinetic energy of 65 pounds, and most people at 20 yards don't produce that. So when, we're, when I'm shooting any animal at all, I shoot a fixed blade. I'll shoot either a Slick Trick or a Wacom. I've shot so many different broadheads over the year, but I want to cut on contact typically with replaceable blades so I can shoot and practice with it, pull out, put some new blades on, and go hunting.
1: So you don't recommend mechanical heads?
9: Well, I mean, for certain people, if you're creating enough kinetic energy that that's great and they cut an awesome hole and they do a great job but most people don't think about the fact that 20 30 40 yards our kinetic energy is dropping just like ballistic coefficient of a bullet or anything else so as that starts to drop and our kinetic is dropping if it doesn't have enough when it hits it doesn't open and it doesn't penetrate as much because you're trying to push a bigger blade through you're trying to push two two and a half inches through something and it can't penetrate as far as a good six blade broadhead
1: well, that's very interesting. I think most people don't realize that. They think it's like automatic. You, The point hits the animal, and it automatically everything opens up. But you've got to yeah, have I think power you're behind right. it.
9: Yeah, I think you're very right. I think a lot of people don't, and then they wonder why, well, why didn't I get penetration, or why didn't the animal go down? Why did I lose the animal? And, Mm. you know, a lot of people forget about that part. If we can make a really good six-blade pothead fly really well, then it's going to kill just as effectively as any mechanical
2: out uh, Rebecca, I know little or nothing about bow hunting, but I'm a little okay. bit curious about, you know, the compound bows and the, the crossbows. Are they classified separately or when you're hunting or um, is, is there a different category or are, they all, are all bows the same?
9: No, crossbows, um, and vertical bows, as we call, as in a lot of regulations, compound is also referred to as vertical. Most people to shoot a crossbow in a lot of states have to be disabled. Um, mm-hmm. there is a lot of states out there that are opening up to being able to hunt with a crossbow during archery season, which I think is pretty awesome for a lot of kids and women who can't pull the poundage back. I think it's fantastic. But there mm-hmm. is other states like Colorado and some other ones, Washington, that you still to shoot a crossbow you can shoot a crossbow during rifle season but not during archery season unless you're disabled
1: mm-hmm. and, well I think that's good Look I uh, do I, I've I shot I... a crossbow I, I love a crossbow to be honest with you I've done a lot of hunting with them so we did a lot of television shows with crossbows but uh, it's in some aspects it's not really fair unless you are disabled yeah. That's I agree. I, I mean, it, it makes it a
9: lot easier for, for some people, but I think it's kind of cool, too. You're still not making long shots with the crossbow. You're just shooting a heavier heavier bolt. You're shooting between a 500 to a 700 grain bolt, and, you know, you don't want to be shooting the long leg with that anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it really puts you on an equal, I think, for a lot of people who can't pull, 40, 50 pounds. It really
2: helps a lot. Mm-hmm. And just out of uh, curiosity, is when when you're hunting with a bow, uh, you know, what what can what sh- could you or should you hunt? I mean, you, you're talking about bears. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but uh, especially when you're that age. But uh, you know, pig hunting or and, and what kind of a range do you have to be within for um, to be effective with a bow?
9: Well, you know, I think that really plays into a lot of personal opinion on what it is. I really believe that effectiveness with a bow is a lot farther than it used to be. Myself, personally, living in the West, spotting and stalking mule deer and animals and stuff like that, you get a lot of shots that are in between 40 and 60 yards.
2: Mm
1: hmm
9: I'll never shoot an animal the first shot over 60 yards. Um, my first shots, I always want under 60, and, and most of those shots end up being under 50 or under 40. So
2: that's because um, you but, don't you don't want to wound it then is what you're saying.
9: Yeah, there's a lot that can happen between zero and 60 yards. It's kind of like a 600-yard shot with a the rifle. There's mm-hmm. a couple-second delay or a second half-a-second delay there oh, that yeah. an animal can move. Yeah. And I respect my animals that I hunt a lot, so my practice, my proficiency to make sure that I make a clean, ethical shot is paramount to me to make sure that animal goes down.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, you know, I've had a lot with the bow, and I don't feel good over 45 yards.
4: Mm
9: -hmm.
1: I just don't feel comfortable, and I won't take a shot. I won't take a 50-yard shot.
9: Absolutely. I passed up one of the biggest bulls in my life that I called in um, at 52 yards. I just didn't feel like the shot was right, and I didn't feel like the place was right for the shot, and let him walk away.
1: Yeah, and on my turkeys, I like them at at 25
9: to 30. Turkeys are fun with a bow. Oh, I love it. Yeah, turkeys uh, are a blast.
1: Yeah. I love calling in turkey and shooting with a bow. Mm-hmm. I won't even use a shotgun anymore.
9: Hmm. No, the bow is fun. I mean, calling in the turkeys is a blast. You know, we have a lot of turkeys up here in the northwest from Idaho to Washington. And, you know, in a lot of those places you can shoot two, three birds a year at certain places. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It is so much fun to <clears throat> play around with spotting and stalking or calling or right. whatever with them to, to shoot them with the bow.
2: Hey, Grizz, is it possible to hit a turkey in the air? With what? A bow yeah. or a shotgun? Well, well, either way, but I'm a taking shotgun, a shotgun. Yeah.
1: I'll tell you what, a shotgun, I'll take all you want. Yeah. It's like shooting an airplane.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm speaking with a bow.
1: Well, I wouldn't do it, but I'm sure Rebecca could do it.
9: <laughs> I've I've shot him as pretty close to into the ear at eleven yards as, as I could. Um but in, the lam- air. in the air, no, I wouldn't shoot him shoot him in the air. It's the fact of having to lead too much with AeroFlight, flight, you never know when you're actually where you're gonna hit.
1: Yeah. And you're probably gonna keep on if he doesn't even if you injure him, John. Yeah. Uh He's going to glide where it's going to be very difficult to find. Oh, yeah. Turkey's are not
0: easy to keep down. Yeah.
9: Mm-hmm. No, well, and yeah. most people, like you're talking about, Grace, to you, a lot of people don't realize that a turkey is extremely strong. You can poke a hole through him with an arrow and. Yeah. You cannot find them if you don't make a good shot. The kill zone is right. not very big. Okay.
2: Well, uh, Rebecca, we're going to be uh, uh, finishing up here. We've got less than a minute. So let's get some information about you and some anything that you want to tell us and how to get in touch with you or anything that you want to uh, put out there.
9: Absolutely. So, um, I work with Outdoors International um, as a hunting consultant. Own oh, my own archery shop. Um, anybody looking for hunts out there, any advice with archery or archery products, can definitely reach out to me at GotHunts.com or um, Hope on the Horizon Outdoors, which is the name of my archery shop, um, and be more than willing to help anybody I can.
2: So, you do guide people for uh, bow hunting.
9: I have guided a bunch of kids. I don't typically guide on the normal thing. I just book people on hunts with a bunch of different outfitters okay. that we work with.
2: So you go to Rebecca at, uh, uh, what was it, Got, Got Hunt?
9: Yep, gothunts.com. Okay,
2: gothunts.com. Okay, fantastic. It's been very interesting exciting. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Grizz, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in to Fish Talk Hunt Radio.
0: Welcome back to Fish Talk and Hunt Radio with Mike the Grizz and John Hennigan. Hey, Grizz, you still have your soft-science shoes?
1: Uh, yeah.
2: Have yeah. you ever taken... In
1: take... fact, I wore them yesterday. <laughs> yeah. no, I did. I went yeah. to the beach yesterday.
2: Yeah. No, they. I, I tell you what, uh, um, you know, since, since I got mine, the... Uh, I uh, think they, they get a lot of uses after about once a week or so I will finally take them off and throw them in the washing machine because they get a little, uh, you know, what can I say? But, uh, uh, we have Ted on the line with this, with soft science and, uh, welcome Ted. And maybe you can give us a bit of an idea about what's happening with soft science. And if you've got any new products out there.
8: Well, John, great. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and, and we do, you know, I just, just want to talk a little bit about the product itself. You know, I think what really, what really sets us apart is the sole and the, and the insole. It's made from a proprietary product called Trillion. Trillium is something that is that is a closed-cell copolymer. I know you referred to washing the shoes in the washing machine. The nice thing about this, unlike a lot of footwear, is because it's a closed-cell copolymer, the bacteria can rest on top of it, but it can't actually penetrate the material so therefore when you if they do need to be freshened up you can toss them in the washer and they're as good as new so I think that's a real a big asset for uh, for the product um, because you know let's face it all of us uh, um, uh, would like to have our shoes be as, you know as fresh as they can be when, when you want them to be
2: hmm uh, well, you know, I, I get, I, I'm kind of lazy. I like that. One of the fins or whatever, you just kind of step into, and the, the backs of them are kind of getting mashed down. But they, but they work fine. They're so easy. And it's amazing how many people would say, what are those things? And I, then I have to tell them.
8: Well, I think the real benefit here is just the comfort. You know, we just got back from the iCast show, which is the biggest tackle trade show of the year. Oh, yeah. And we took a bunch of pair in there just for people to try and check out. And Mm -hmm. I've been in this business 25 years selling fishing tackle in one way, shape, or form. I've only been involved with the company for a few months now. And and I've never sold footwear in my life. And I could not believe the reaction that we got from people. It's just incredible. I mean, you watch people, you know, go, okay, these are pretty cool. And as soon as they try them on, it's like... Now, how much are they? I mean, it really—I mean, it's—it's yeah. it's, it's amazing to watch. I've never seen anything like
3: it. Yeah,
2: right. Well, how much? You know, footwear is—it's—you know—the prices are so all over. I mean, you can go to some places and buy cheap shoes cheap, and you know, and then the higher end brands can be ridiculous price. Uh, but the thing about the soft science is, like you said you know you don't want to take them off. And I can wear no, them really. you know i I wear them places probably where I shouldn't it's a little bit dressy, but uh you know as uh, uh, there's a couple of different couple of different types, but you guys have come out with a new high top right or boots or
8: yeah, we've got, a, uh, we got uh, several uh, new products. So we've extended our ladies' lineup, first and foremost. Uh, I think that's really important because the lady anglers out there really haven't had an alternative. Yeah. And so we extended our ladies' lineup and added a uh, two different lace-up versions <laughs> and then the thin 2.0, which is a traditional moccasin-style shoe yeah. for a mock-style shoe. And, uh, boy, the reviews we got on that from the ladies at the show was incredible. But, yeah. you know, our current product, the Fin 2.0, has been our bestseller. You
2: know, well, they, uh, those, uh, those uh, I guess, boat shoes or fishing shoes, we're going to get together with Kevin and get me some of those because I'm anxious to try those out.
8: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, this new product we we're talk, referring to is going to ship. Uh, you'll see it on shelves, store shelves, and on our website, you know, roughly the first part of January of 2018. That's when we're that far ahead of things. But mm-hmm. we've got the uh, Lace Up Thin 3.0. Looks more like a tennis shoe with that great outsole, that great comfort. Yeah. We're launching a, another shoe that I'm really excited about called the H2O. Right. And H2O is a slip on water shoe, really <laughs> ideal for the paddle sports and personal mm-hmm. watercraft enthusiasts, you know, people that like that kind of activity. Um, if you're, you know, if you're uh, any of any water activity like that, it's going right. to be a very
2: lightweight thing Well, Grizz wears them, and if he wears them, he must like them, so, and he gets out there in the best of it. But uh, anyway, uh, we're going to have to go, but you can find them at retailers. But uh, what is your website?
8: It's softscience.com.
2: And that's probably the best because I know you've seen some specials on there. Softscience.com. Go check it out. Ted, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And Grizz, thank you very much for helping us out today or helping you out or whoever's helping what out. But it's been a great show. Thanks for
4: that.